Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. Has everybody been enjoying this series? It's felt very rich, I think. The, the, the more of you that I've talked to, uh, it's, it's been a really special space. I think for everybody who's been preaching, it's been really meaningful because it's forced us to lean in spiritually and lean into our prayer walk. Two and a half years ago, uh, our, our dear friends, Cody and Lou, who have been a part of Redemption Hill, they moved to Oregon. Um, they were pregnant. They were 20, 25, 27 weeks pregnant. And we get a call that Lou's gone into labor early and they have to take the baby. And um, we, it was so early that it was just, it was a very pressing moment. And so we, we just said, okay, there's a real threat here. The baby looks like it may not make it. Lou's looking like she may not make it. And so we just gathered 30 people together. This was the fall of 2020 when you couldn't go into the hospital. Um, only one person could go in the hospital and they couldn't come out. It was just like this, this nightmare scenario. We had just had Winnie just a month before. And... Yeah, the 30 people, they have like this prayer walk labyrinth in the courtyard outside of St. Luke's. And our church and another church they've been connected with, we just all gathered together and prayed for them. And we prayed these radical prayers saying, God, we believe that you can do much more than we can imagine. That includes not only like saving little Spencer from death or saving Lou from death, but allowing him to grow into a normal, healthy little boy, even being born so early. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed. There was probably about round-the-clock prayer coverage for this family for the next 12 weeks while little Spencer slowly recovered in NICU. And today, little Spencer is this beautiful, happy, healthy little baby God spared his life and allowed him to become this beautiful. Every, every time I hold little Spencer, it's this picture of God's like loving care towards us. Um, I have a picture here. A year ago, we got a call. Our friend Doug had, um, had been having back issues, and he went in for a PET scan because they didn't know what was going on. And this was the PET scan of his back. He had 22 tumors needed emergency back surgery. His kids came down from college to tell him goodbye. This was like, we were praying for a, for a merciful death. Is like, that was, that was what was on the table. But a group of us from here and from Discovery got together. We, in the same way, stood outside of St. Al's in the courtyard below his room. And we started to pray, and we prayed that God would not 
not just heal Doug, but then would, would bring about a renewal of his life, would give him time. We just, we prayed for time. We prayed, God, give Doug more time. He's got four kids who are teenagers. And then we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We kept praying, we kept praying. And day by day, things just kept changing a little bit at a time. He went through a radical back surgery to repair his bones that had been eaten away by cancer. And this was a scan that was taken this week of his body. There's one tumor that you can see on the PET scan that's been 90% reduced from his original cancer in his lung. And the other one is in his pelvis and they can't detect it. This is a, a verifiable miracle of God coming through in ways that no one expected. But at the same time, I've been walking through stories that are very different than these stories. These are stories of God coming through for us in powerful ways. Um, one, of my, one of my dear friends, um, his wife is 27, and two years ago, um, started having issues, and they did a PET scan and realized that she had this really strange, obscure cancer on the lining of the outside of her intestines, and it was pervasive and would ultimately take her life. And so we've been praying consistently for the last 20 months for our friend Cass, praying and praying and praying. Almost every night, me and the kids pray for Cassie. Pray that God would spare her life. And yet she's in hospice as a 28-year-old 20, now. Two and a half years ago, my wife's aunt Joni was diagnosed with cancer. And we prayed for a miracle for her. She went into remission. Six months later, was diagnosed with a second cancer. And then eight months later, died. What is the difference in these stories? We didn't change our, our level of prayer. Our, probably our level of prayer was similar or greater for those that didn't make it, who are suffering still. I know many of you have been praying for years for things in your life that haven't been resolved. Addictions that have grabbed hold of you and are crippling you still. The anxieties that rule over us because we cannot overcome them. Some of you have been praying that God would give you the desires of your heart, some sort of passion to live into, some sort of dream, and God hasn't given it to you. Some of you have been praying for a restored relationship with a loved one, a child, a parent, a spouse. Maybe you've been praying for someone else who's struggling, praying that they would change so that your relationship would be transformed. All of us have experienced unanswered prayer. And I know that you know that. And the question is, what do we do with it? What do we do with these unanswered prayers? We can be overcome by disappointment. Our expectation was that God is loving and God is all powerful. Therefore, he's going to do what I need him to do to overcome the sin and brokenness of this world. Some of you have lost some faith. God didn't come through at a pivotal moment and you made some sort of vow in your heart that I'm not going to trust that guy again. 
Some of you are quiet quitting God because of unanswered prayer. You slowly stop trying anymore. Stop believing for those sorts of miracles to happen. For many of our friends, it was the beginning of their, their faith disintegrating. But for some, it's this journey that deepens their faith into something that's more powerful than we can imagine. So what's the difference between those two groups of people, those who an unanswered prayer brings them into this un, unshakable faith and those who have unanswered prayer and walk away from their faith? I think some of you, some of us come from traditions that like really promote kind of a magic genie Jesus. Anybody, anybody grow up in a place that was like, if you pray, if you pray hard enough, if you're holy enough, if you do enough religious stuff, the only thing that's holding God back is you. And so if you do enough stuff, there's a transaction between you and God based on your religious attitudes and your holiness in your life, and God has to give you what you're looking for. It's this transaction of faith for works, for God's miraculous works. Kind of a name it, claim it, just basically pray until it happens because it's yours to take hold of. And for those of you who grew up in that tradition, I know many of you have led to disenchantment with God and church. You were sold a bill of goods and expectation that if you did things the right way, God would have to come through for you. And I know for many of us, it's led to a sense of shame that God didn't come through because I'm the problem. My sin keeps God from bringing healing into the world, transformation into the world, the kingdom into the world. And on the other side, some of you come from traditions that have lost their faith entirely. Some of you come from traditions that have ceased to believe that God intervenes in our world at all. Maybe you were in a church that might have been called the frozen chosen. You're just waiting till God takes us all home and this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And God doesn't intervene anymore. That dispensation of his grace has stopped. They've come to believe that because they haven't seen miracles, that God's spirit just stopped working sometime in the past, and we don't know why. They've demythologized Jesus into a teacher who did miracles, and, and the Holy Spirit is just an absent helper who used to be powerful and is now merely just there to convict you of sin and of judgment. But both of these ways are seeing are, are, are not what we see in the Bible, and they keep us from understanding and experiencing God in prayer. Because you see, Jesus experienced unanswered prayer like you and I did. You ever thought about that? Jesus, the Son of God, who's one with the Most High, had prayers that were not answered. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. This is a, a familiar passage. It's through Passion Week. It's when Jesus is in the garden with his disciples. And it says this, and they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here a while and I will go pray. Then he took Peter and James and John with him. I'm deeply grateful that he took Peter, James and John with him so that we could hear. Like what if Jesus had gone off and we hadn't heard these prayers? These prayers are really vital for us. It's really vital for understanding how God interacts with humanity. So he took Peter, James, and John with him. 
and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus has this prophetic understanding of what's happening. He knows where, um, where Judas has gone. He knows what Judas is doing. He knows the cup that's coming, the cup of suffering that is at hand. God has given him this understanding and vision of what's coming. He went on a little farther. He falls to the ground and he prays, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. And he says, Abba, Dad, everything is possible for you. You are, you are powerful beyond measure. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is praying something outside of the will of God. That's, that's a wild thing that is a complex way that we need to understand the relationship between the Father and Son. And we don't have time to dive into Trinitarian understandings of the actions of God. There's no space for that today. But what I want to see here is that Jesus prayed that God would remove him from the suffering that God would remove the work that he had in front of him that would bring him to this point of excruciating pain and death. And we know that God does not answer this prayer except in fulfilling the second part of it when he says, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus himself is saying, I don't want the struggle. I don't want the pain. That's our prayer, right? That's my prayer for Cassie. That's my prayer for Joni. That's my prayer for Doug. That's my prayer for little Spencer and Lou is that God would stop the suffering, that God would take away the ill effects of this world, the broken genetics that have crept into all of our bodies that are reproduced in our children and create these cancers that destroy our bodies. We're praying that God would enter in and remove the suffering by his power Jesus wanted the same thing. And what we see is that Jesus wanted the same thing and he still wants the same thing. We see in John 17, Jesus has what we call the high priestly prayer. And in John 17, Jesus prays that what? We would be one as he and the Father are one so that the world might know his love. Has that prayer been answered? Maybe in part, but barely at all. What I love about this is God himself wants us to pray honestly and openly and unapologetically. He wants us to enter in and be honest about unanswered prayer. Because a lot of times in a lot of our traditions, we basically have swept unanswered prayer under the rug and said, God always answers prayers in his way, darling. And I promise you that God is going to work all things together for good for those who trust him according to his purposes. And when people don't see God come through, they get blamed. The, the, the first question is, like, like Job, what's the sin in your life that's keeping God from bringing about his kingdom in this situation? Start looking and blaming and shaming. 
But being honest about unanswered prayer is a form of belief because it says, I still know that God is the king and ruler over all things, that he is responsible for all of creation, has power over it, and is working out his eternal plan for redemption that all things would be made right in him. Us struggling with unanswered prayer is to say, I still believe that God is at work and that God wants what he wants and is doing what he's doing. It's just not the way that I would do it. And so unanswered prayer is important for us to struggle with, to walk in. And what we see is that the cross itself, Jesus' work on the cross makes sense of it because God is not someone, God is different. Yahweh is different than every other God that's ever been imagined by human minds because God himself Yahweh himself descended, humbled himself to take on the form of humanity and suffer alongside of us. We are not alone in our unanswered prayers. We are not alone in our suffering. The God of the universe said, I can't take away your cup of suffering, but I can be in it with you. You are not alone. Because prayer is not about answers. Prayer is about presence. Prayer is not about answers from God. Prayer is about the very presence of God breaking into our lives. And so what do we see that Jesus is praying in the garden? He prays in an intimate way. He says, Abba, which is like dad. Some people hate the word like daddy because it's taking on like a weird sexual sense in our world. So we just leave that aside. We just say dad, okay? Like it's not, it's not this distant father. It is this Abba is, is dad. That is who he is. He's, the, he's the, the one who made all things, who draws all people into him. And we see that Jesus in his moment of reckoning draws near and says, Dad, I need you. He says, everything is possible in you. Which is important to remember that God is not withholding because he's not powerful. God is not withholding because he's not powerful. Okay? He is powerful. He is able to do all things. And he has the ability to enter in when he desires. And then Jesus says, take this cup from me. And some of you, it's real easy to, you can tell God you're suffering and then be mad at him for not taking away your suffering. Some of you feel entitled that way. Some of you are like middle kids like me and you walk through life going, I deserve suffering. And I don't, even, I don't even want to ask God to take away the suffering because why should he bother with me? Have any of you ever felt that? Why would I bother God with the minuscule things in my life when I know what's happening around the world? When I know I'm not sitting in a bomb shelter in Ukraine praying that my building won't be destroyed. When I know that I have food around me, why would I ever complain? Some of you feel that. But Jesus himself, the one who had access to the, God, to the Father, said, take this cup from me. By faith, he invited God to help him and walk with him in his suffering, to take it away and, and free him from it. You see this radical honesty from Jesus that he wasn't going to be like, Oh, Father, I, I will take whatever you desire. Like the, we all, you've had those prayers where you're like, God, whatever your will be done, I know if you don't want to heal them, then that's your, that's your deal. And like we, we kind of hedge our prayers. Jesus doesn't hedge his prayer. He's not like, God, if it doesn't matter to you, I'd like to not suffer. He says, God, I don't want to suffer. 
there's a frankness and an honesty to Jesus that we need to grab hold of here. When we're praying, we need to say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm scared. God, I need you to come through for me. God, I need you to reconcile this financial issue in my life. God, I need you to provide for a job for me. God, I need you to enter in because I can't change my spouse and I can't change my kids and I can't change our relationship, but you can. It's sort of honesty that Jesus entered into. There's one other story I want to hit in Daniel chapter 3 that I think is, is important for us. Daniel chapter 3, you guys know this story. Um, we're not, let's take this slide down. It's, it's too much. I, I'm not going to read through this whole thing. Uh, you guys know the story. Um, the king of Babylon says, hey, I'm going to make this big golden statue. As, uh, as in the Veggie Tales, they have this like giant chocolate bunny, but this is like a giant golden statue. Okay. Has anybody ever been to China and everywhere you walk is like a like a 50-foot statue of Chairman Mao? Like, like it's kind of like that. Everywhere you go, there's like these giant statues. And when the when the the musicians start playing a couple times a day, all you have to do is just stop and bow before the statue and declare that Nebuchadnezzar is Lord of Lords. That's all you have to do. It's not a big deal. It's just like pledging allegiance to the flag. It's not a big deal. It's not like your loyalty is there. It's not like you're responsible for it. It's just, it's just the thing you do. And there was some snitches um, who called out the Jews who weren't doing it. Snitches get stitches, man. That's, that's all I got to say about that. Um, but there's some snitches who are going, hey, the Jews are being terrible, and they're not bowing down. And there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They don't, they don't care about you, majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. They don't worship the gold statue that you set up. Nebuchadnezzar throws into a rage, and he orders the three guys to be brought and thrown into a furnace that's so hot that the guys throwing them into the furnace get killed. I mean, we're talking probably a thousand degree furnace, and they got to get close enough to get them in there, the guys who are tossing them get burned up in the fire. They go in there, they're in they're in the fire. Before that, Nebuchadnezzar takes them to the fire and says, I'm gonna give you one last chance. Bow down and worship the statue that I made for you when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be immediately thrown into the fire. And they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. Like, that's just such a baller move. He's like, yeah, you're the king, but you're not really the king. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want it to be clear to you. Your ma- I like that they add your majesty. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. So he throws them into the furnace. It's seven times hotter than usual. He ordered these men to throw them in. They tied them up so that they couldn't get out, as if like this 3,000-degree furnace is like, I'm going to run out of here. Yeah, no, they're tied up, thrown in there. Flames kill the soldiers. And then, like, I, I like to imagine they're looking inside this furnace, and I don't know if you've ever looked in a furnace that's as hot as they're describing. Like, let's say it's seven times, like, a, a thousand-degree fire, which is, like, a, a large, like, a bonfire is about a thousand degrees. 
And you're like, you can't even look inside of it. But they're looking inside of it and they see these four figures inside the fire. Nebuchadnezzar jumps up and says, didn't we, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yeah, yeah, we did. Well, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. The fourth looks like a god. God himself didn't send an angel to go remove them from the fire or protect them from going into the fire. He allowed them to be thrown into the fire and joined them in it. What we see is clearly Daniel is foretelling the Messiah's power to come alongside humanity and be in it with us. They stepped out of the fire because Nebuchadnezzar said, come on out, you weirdos. And the, the high officials, governors, crowd around them. They saw that the fire hadn't touched them. Not even a hair on their heads were singed. Their clothing wasn't scorched. This is the best. They didn't even smell of smoke. Like if I'm, if I'm within 20 yards of a cigar, Malia's going to smell it on me when I get home. I have a hard time believing that they get out of this fire and there's not a smell of smoke on them. God will save you. God will save us, they said. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Our commitment to prayer is not about getting this desired outcome, but rather pursuing the presence and the pleasure of God. And so unanswered prayer is not the end of our work of prayer. Because we don't miss out on God when we enter into prayer. We get his presence we get his favor. We get him. That's what prayer does. Our commitment to prayer is not just there when he shows up for us. But I know some of you are thinking, well, but why doesn't God answer prayer? Anybody been thinking that yet? If you haven't, you really aren't paying attention. So that's, that's the real question. Why doesn't God answer prayer? Well, so often we, we head into prayer looking for something. We head in saying, I need to get something from God. That's why we enter into prayer. And I think that God likes that just about as much as we do when your kids will like get up and clean their room and pick up the family room and do the dishes. And then they can ask if they can have some money to go hang out with their friends. Is there a connection of relationship between what they've done and what they're asking? No. It was like a spec home. You build it and hope that the person wants to buy it from you. That's what we're doing when we go to God and we say, I've done all these good things. Will you give me what I'm looking for? Well, we're glad that our kids are helping out around the house, but it's not this active relationship. It's a prepaid transaction, speculative good works to soften the ask. Much like uh, many of you husbands who might do the dishes and give their wife a foot massage in expectation for maybe some sexual intimacy as a reward for your good behavior. I've never done this, so I don't know, but I hear that that's a thing. God, God doesn't mind us behaving and pursuing wisdom and living holy lives, serving others. But if it's all speculative good works in hope of leveraging them to get something from God, then like parents and wives in these examples, God gives generously to us and we see it as something we deserve rather than a gift of mercy from the Father. And it can draw us away from Him relationally. 
when it's a transaction. Now, we see this faithfulness in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even if God doesn't come through, we will remain faithful and steadfast and do what we're called to. And this is Jesus' prayer in the garden. Even if the Father doesn't take my cup, not my will, but the will of the Father. But we show a sense of entitlement that God should or, or He owes me or He should act the way that I demand. That is, when you know that it's always a transaction, when you feel entitled to God giving you what you want, that's when you know it's a transaction. If you feel entitled to God showing up and doing what you demand, that's a transaction. When you tell your kid no after they do all that good work, and then they're going to show you if it's a transaction or not. The fit that they throw out of their sense of entitlement can be epic. But I did all this stuff. I cared for you. I was, I've been such a good kid, and you didn't give me money and let me go out with my friends. God, I haven't looked at pornography for two weeks, and I ask you to help me with this one thing, and you're not going to help me? God, I've been praying, and I've been praying, and I've been steadfast in my prayers, but you don't come through for me? We do the same thing with God. We obey and we go to church. We give financially. We try to read our Bibles and pray. And when God doesn't come through and give us what we want, some of us like to throw fits like entitled young adults who feel that the world owes them something. M many of you are currently or on the precipice of, of suffering through a midlife crisis. Um, and I, I think that mo most midlife crises are directly tied to this idea. I'm a good person, shouldn't I be happy? Do you hear the logic of that? I did everything right, and here I am. I'm not rich, I'm not beautiful. My spouse doesn't like me, my kids don't like me. Don't I deserve to be happy and not suffer in this job, and this marriage, through this loss? And that sense of entitlement is going to take you to some dark places of victimhood and blaming God and blaming others for your unhappiness. But Paul has a solution for us. You're going to like it. I promise. No, you're not going to like it. But Paul gives us this. Uh, we got Romans chapter 5. Here we go. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope is not going to lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You see, the struggle is the work. The struggle is the reward because it means that we have entered in. The name of God's people is not God's beloved. The name of God's people is Israel. Those who struggle with God. Ishael. Those who struggle with God. Jesus tells us there's going to be trouble in this world. And the struggle itself is a part of God's people. It's a part of what we do for a reason. It's the only means to shape us into the kingdom people who belong in God's family. Struggle is the only path to growth and transformation. And only in pressing upon this world and experiencing its resistance do we grow the strength to move through the world. And it's the same spiritually. You see, the struggle is a part of God's plan. Um, has anybody here watched? There's this awful sci-fi show called The Expanse. It's like it's on Amazon. It's super cheesy, but I, I really like it. And uh, 
it's there's this group of people called the belters and they're like really tall and they got like like long limbs and long like necks because they grew up in the asteroid belt outside of our planetary system and they've never lived on planets and so they cannot go on a planet they have to live in space because if they were to enter into earth's gravity they would literally be crushed their bones would break in half because they've only ever lived in low gravity that's what it's like for people who don't suffer when you enter into the presence of god if you have not been weathered and this body has not been prepared and if your soul has not been battered by suffering you will not be able to enter into god's presence because it's only through the suffering christ that we can find life many of us are like spiritual belters we don't belong in god's kingdom because we haven't suffered but if god is this all-loving and all-powerful god well, why doesn't he just get rid of suffering and just like let us be the way we are? Well, there's lots of reasons. We're talking about theodicy now, which is probably the most complex theological question that's, that's before us. But here's, here's a few ways to, to walk through that question. If God is all-powerful and all-loving, why do we suffer still? Why doesn't he just make all things right? Well, the first is this. If God takes away the suffering in this world, we will not desire him. We will desire this world. If this world is hunky-dory and does not create pain, then we will stay here forever and miss out on his true presence in his kingdom. And so pain and suffering have to belong to this world so that we will yearn for the new country that we are all hoping for. The second is this. Um, I have a I have a pretty wealthy friend who's probably worth tens of millions of dollars, and he cannot have relationships with people because they see that him as a dollar sign. It's this alienating thing when everybody around you is trying to figure out how they can use your resources for their projects, and that's what it's like with the father too. If he's if he is just a resource for transactional. Uh, interactions with us, then we actually don't get the relationship with him that we need to be to become kingdom people. And so God can't give us everything that we demand and everything that we desire because it would alienate us from him. Okay? There is opposition in this world. This is a battlefield in the spiritual realm. And there is a there's a prince of darkness who is bringing destruction, chaos, and death as a way to make God's creation suffer. That's the reality. We are at war. This is a contested place. And the only way to get rid of the war is to destroy all of those who belong to the evil one. And God is withholding his judgment and withholding setting all things right so that some might come to faith and some might be saved from destruction. And so we live among one another in this place where we're constantly hurting each other and living in pain because there's a chance that some of us may still find the way to the kingdom in this world. We have to remember that all suffering in this world is temporary, and so is the relief that comes from it. And so when God enters in in a miracle, my friend Doug is still going to die someday. 
He was saved miraculously from this death and given extra time on this earth, but it doesn't change the reality that these bodies are destined for destruction. And so God sometimes says it's not a part of his will to take away this suffering now. It's okay that you might suffer because this world is going away. The same way with all provision in this world. All blessings from God are temporary because the provision itself will no longer sustain us over time. And so sometimes God says, it's okay. You don't need that now, and you may suffer a little bit, but like in all things, like a good parent, he gives us what we need, not what we desire. And the last is this. God will not, and as I'm going to show you my theological cards, God is not going to overcome human will and turn you into some sort of spiritual robot that does what he desires. God does not do that. And so, in doing that and allowing you to be an autonomous being, what comes along with that is all the idiotic decisions that you make and all of the pain and suffering that you create around you is a part of God allowing us to live in a relational dynamic with him. That's why God does not remove suffering is because he doesn't want to remove the ones who cause suffering, which is us. And lastly, we don't know what is good And so when we pray, we're praying with a veil of darkness in front of us. And we're saying, God, we want your will, but we don't know your will. And like Jesus, we need to pray, may your will be done because I'm a fool who doesn't know your way and who doesn't understand your kingdom. We have to remember prayer is about presence, not results. It's about where you are rather than why not? Why God's not providing. And lastly, we should be looking for parachutes rather than airlifts. And this metaphor, this idea is that we want God to hold us and carry us as we fall through this world rather than remove us from this world. Okay? An airlift is you, you call in the, the airlift, they show up and they whisk you away from the danger around you. But that's not the way that God made things. God made things so that he would be with us as we fall through the dangers of this world. He would would care for us and protect us and bring small mercies to bring us through the brokenness and the suffering of this world. Not your will, not my will, but yours be done needs to be our prayer in the face of unanswered prayer. I want to have a little bit of time, probably just about five minutes, and I'll, I'll invite the band to... If you guys want to play while we're praying, that's great today. All of us have unanswered prayers that are probably rattling around in our our minds right now. And here's the practice of unanswered prayers. Here's, Here's how we deal with that. First is, we believe that God desires that his kingdom would come in power and bring about the end of suffering. That's his ultimate goal and plan that's going to happen at the eschaton when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. That's true, and that's right, and we can pray for that, and we can pray for God's kingdom to come in power in my life right now. We can pray for miracles to happen, and what we say about healing is that we're going to keep praying until they get healed, they die, or we go to heaven. Those are the only three reasons we stop praying for healing, is we believe that God wants to bring his spiritual power to bear in this situation. We're going to keep praying. Um, And so we need to have persistence. 
in our prayer. So I'm going to invite you to pray for those unanswered prayers right now. By faith, saying, God, I still desire these things. God, I still honestly am struggling. God, I still need you to show up for me. So we're going to, we're going to pray persistently. Secondly, we're going to battle. We're going to recognize that there are forces of darkness in this world, and we're going to ask God to come against them in those situations. We're going to ask him to battle the principalities in darkness. We're going to ask him to transform us so that our will and our brokenness doesn't get in the way of God's provision. And then lastly, we're going to listen. Start paying attention to what God's will is so that we're praying better into his will. Jesus could say, may your will be done rather than mine because he knew the Father's will was good. And so our ask is to listen and say, God, show me your will so that I can rejoice in your provision. Show me your will so that I can see how you are with me in my suffering. Show me your will so that I can rejoice because you have provided for your people. So persistence, battle, and listen to the Father's voice. You got five minutes right now to, to start practicing.
God, in this space is a battle for our hearts that we would remember and believe that you want and care for us. That we would remember and believe that you are with us in this suffering and in this waiting and in this time of struggle. Lord God, take away our sense of entitlement and fill it with a sense of peace. Take away our our spirit of, of demanding from you Give us a spirit of curiosity around what you're up to in the waiting, in the preparation, what your will is. God, may we look and see and experience your kingdom as it comes in power, not the way we expect, but in the unexpected ways that your kingdom is breaking in and fits and starts like little breaks of light. They're piercing through the darkness giving giving us vision to see what you're up to God give us a little more of your kingdom vision help us to pray with open hands and say God we need and we want but your will be done not ours dad we need you dad we need you to free us from our addictions. We need you to give us peace in our anxieties. We need you to provide for our needs and our struggles. Father, we need you to bring healing to our bodies. We need you to show up in power in our lives. Give us your presence as we seek you. Give us the true desire of our heart, which is intimacy with the King. And as we take communion, Lord, I pray that it's a, it's a recommitment to say, I'm going to pray and pray and wait until the kingdom comes or until the Lord reveals himself. May we be a persistent people waiting on you, Father. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Right, would you stand with us? During this song, I invite you to come forward, come down the middle aisle, take the elements and take them as, as you walk or back at your seats. And the elements are just a a picture of God being with us and God providing for us. And this is is a chance to say, by faith, I grab hold of the promise of God, that his body and his blood shed for us are enough. So come forward and receive communion. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.